This is Jim Semivan, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising, with 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them? Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts. I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one. That's the number one. Or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and we've got a breakdown to round off the month of October. May fit in another one before at the end of October but likely be well into November. Joining me to provide commentary, analysis, feedback and all that good stuff is Dan. Welcome. Hi, uh, it's nice to stop my globe trotting for a minute and take a breath and sit down with you and have a chat about what's been going on. Yeah, just for a minute or two before you head back off again uh, <laughs> around the Americas, as they call them. Um, it's been a few weeks since we recorded anything, uh, life in general, but also just very quickly, thanks to everyone who got in touch about the. If you hadn't seen social media, my dog passed away a few days ago. Passed away, you know, was was put to sleep because of very sudden health issues. So that's been a bit crappy. But thanks for folks reaching out. It was very nice and and seeing a lot of people who had gone through the same kind of stuff. So cheers for that. Uh, But back to talking about UFOs, um, which there is a lot of news uh, and a lot of stuff coming up. A lot of stuff just happened and some stuff just happened in the past. So we will blitz through as much as we can to get people kind of up to speed. And I'd seen a few people ask about oh any breakdowns and comments on the news and stuff so so let's get to it um first up uh one week away dan um well at most from me recording this it's the 24th of october we are one week away from the 31st of october for those of you who are good with your calendars that should be correct um but the next unclassified uap task force report should be due out you as with many other folks, are expecting it by this Friday, aren't you? Which is the 29th, 28th, 28th, 28th of October, yeah, because people tend to release stuff they want buried in news cycles on the Friday before a weekend, and it kind of goes away, doesn't it, and doesn't get discussed until the Monday, unless something else comes and takes over. So we're expecting that to, to come up, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I would expect it before the weekend. It's due by Monday, but could come out Monday. Uh, they could want the weekend to write stuff on it. Uh, Travis Taylor was involved in writing the one last year, and I'm sure he has said at some point over the last year he would have loved more time. But this one's going to be interesting because we've had the establishment of a new office or a rebranding uh, once again uh, from, you know, we had the UAP task force, then we went to AIMSOG, as they called it, AOIMSG, and now we're on Arrow, which is the uh, all-domain anomaly resolution office. And 
yeah, so we we have a whole new setup essentially. So it's going to be really curious seeing how much information they've been actually able to pass since that office was established. There's probably a whole bunch of bureaucratic things that have been taking their attention, getting their email set up, getting the computers up and running, getting those home VPNs going. Uh, but we do know as well that Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the, the head of Arrow, has been in touch with various people exploring cases, uh, namely with Avi Loeb and the Ukraine stuff, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, so it's very active office. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious what, what's going to be in there. I, I would at the very least expect the same as last year in terms of just this is how many reports we've had, this is how many we've solved. But it's going to be curious seeing what's different to last year more than anything, I think. I, I think we mentioned this before, but um, it's worth pointing out that Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick hasn't had that long in role. Again, similar to the last or the initial report, there was a lot of changes made. People like Lou Zondo and Chris Mellon commented how it seemed to hamstring and, and tie the hands behind their back a little bit in terms of what the, the finished product would look like. And and we've probably had that again this time because I think he came in, was it around June time? So it's been four months of, yeah. of we, work. We'd heard rumblings since like maybe March that he was taking the job, but it wasn't announced until about June when the, the Arrow rebranding was announced. But yeah, you're, you're right. You, you know, not, not a lot of time to do work. No, and again, last time, again, people like Lula Zondo, Chris Mellon, and others like Tim McMillan and such were commenting that you really need a run of years at this kind of stuff to start to compile the data and the networking and everything else that would produce results. So again, it's like a restart and back to the beginning. So it's very much the early days. And what we're going to get is a report. And just before we recorded, Dan, you made you were saying that people are asking for, you know, oh, we're not going to get videos. We'll know it's a report. It's like handing in a report at an essay at school, isn't it? And yeah. your teacher saying, oh, where are the accompanying videos and slides? And you'd be like, well, I, you asked for a report. I just I just wrote you out an essay. That's it. So it's, it's yeah. a written report. And we're, we're probably going to see some, maybe some redacted stuff again that like the color, not the color, the color in the shapes of Foo Fighters album. Although that's relevant. <laughs> that is relevant, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Foo Fighters. Yeah, I absolutely did not mean that either. Um, the, the shapes on the report of various UAP were completely redacted. As we saw, a lot of kind of conversation happened around that, but you're still talking about a big black rectangle on a page. Um, and, well, that was, that was from FOIA, right? So yes. this will be slightly different. This will be, we'll have a public facing report with a classified annex. We won't see any of the classified annex, even with stuff blacked out. But the shapes thing is interesting that you bring that up because then this this is my hope for this year, I, I guess. Uh, you know, my pie in the sky hope is that last year they they designated five categories. Four mm -hmm. of them were man made prosaic things, so you know, natural phenomena, things like that. And then we had the other category. Congress has made it clear through legislation that hasn't passed yet that they're only interested in this other category. So those four categories for me should become one category of you, you know not interested basically, and that category for others should expand that that would be my hope that we'd see you know maybe that expand by shapes or by how many observables are present in these anomalous encounters and as well as that i i'd hope that there would be a bit more talk about cooperation on an international level because that didn't really happen uh last year and you know mm -hmm. the uk is still very stum they haven't even responded to our calvin stuff even though that photo is now out and yeah it's just it's a little perturbing that you, you know there's no international cooperation here as well as that, I'd like to see them name and shame uh, some of the actors who aren't uh, willingly participating in the report and giving over their data, namely the Air Force, even Air Force. though 
we had certain members of the Air Force involved in helping write it. It doesn't seem like they're getting that historical data from them. No, and I think... um, God, I'm going to butcher whatever this was going to be, and it could have been a really salient point. Um, Was it Ben Hansen or... No, Ryan Graves on Twitter had commented how there have been cases where airline pilots and crew are still... Was it airline pilots are being, again dissuade or you know to not come forward and that's still happening so you could imagine that goes right through to places like the air force and such as well and again i've mentioned this recently in some interviews that and i think gary nolan had mentioned it's not just as easy for even with immunity language being written in that everyone's going to come running forward to to talk about the ufo subject because people have careers and aspirations and their own thoughts and opinions and bias so it's not just as easy as everyone wants to come forward and talk about UFOs and there is still a stigma in a lot of different places and a lot of different areas. Even with people who are seeing things they can't explain, they don't immediately want to think about the potential of what it could be and that it will be something likely prosaic. So there's a lot of variables with this and you're quite right that people, again, I think we'll use that temper their expectations line with this one. And it's one of those... Yeah, again, go in just expecting the bare minimum and you might come out pleasantly nonplussed, um, not even surprised. But yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I think so. And it's not, you know, last year they were talking about being a nothing burger, that there was nothing in the report that was relevant when actually... Which wasn't fact, true. That's Yeah, no, that, that wasn't true. I, I agree. You, you know, I, I think the fact the report's even happening at all is kind of miraculous. Um, and there's been some talk from people like Eric Weinstein in the past week where he's basically pointing out whether this is UFOs or a PSYOP, this is a ridiculously huge story. And, it, it you know, it's not clear which way it's going to go yet, but uh, there seems to be a there there. That's what we can all agree on. Maybe worth talking on that quickly then, the Eric Weinstein stuff, because he appeared at San Marino um, as part of a presentation that was going on. I've seen some folks... If you're not familiar with social media, you might not know Eric Weinstein, because I only know the guy from, from social media as well. Um is he a mathematician by trade? Is that where his background is? Uh, I don't know exactly, but I would say mathematician, physicist. That, that's maths, what I hold him clever, in my head clever, as. Clever guy with millions of Super followers. Super intelligent guy. And someone who kind of, I would say, spoke out against the establishment as well. So he's kind of been shunned from academic circles. But what he's actually talking about is very often kind of the, the broader view instead of just staying in his lane. And we're, we're big fans of people who who do that. <laughs> yeah, he's one of those, and I've seen people comment on the guy's politics and opinions on stuff, and that that's all by the by. His uh, Twitter profile now just says dad. So yeah, I can't even cool. get anything off of that. Now he's changed that, so fair enough. I like um, that. Nice human designation. A, <laughs> yeah, it could be a plea. It could be a role. Who knows? Um, so yeah. <laughs> He's a, a very clever guy and one of those people that is outside of the UFO subject that you, you probably want to be involved or characters like that who can come in and, and take this topic to a broader subject. He's got 700,000 Twitter followers, so that's that's no mean feat. Um, so yeah, interesting to see him coming in and talking about the UFO subject. He did meet with Luella Zondo some time ago. They posted a picture together, didn't they, on, on they social did. media as well. I think he was also... Over a year ago, was he not one of the people who talked about being briefed along the time Sam Harris had mentioned, you know, people are reaching out to talk about the UFO subject to to personalities and media profiles and media personalities. And there we go. And it might have taken a little bit more time, but all of a sudden he goes from being a healthy skeptic in the subject to, 
oh, I'm now appearing at the San Marino UFO conference and I'm part of a presentation and, and talking about, like you say, they're at their, as are they are there. And it's yeah. worth it's worth getting involved in this subject. And if we can get more and more of that happening, I think that's a huge plus. It, it was just amazing to hear his thoughts, you know, the, the actual circumstances surrounding him being in San Marino. He was going just to watch, basically. Yeah. Um, and then as per Eric's Twitter, he reported that Lou was under the weather, so couldn't go. So we filled a spot, basically. Very Ron Burgundy moment being asked to play jazz flute, you know, like, please, I couldn't. And then he's the most prepared person there. Yeah. 40-page um, and... PowerPoint on his sleeve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, he, he laid out some just some interesting thoughts that, like we already said, came down to this. Are there there? This is hugely intriguing. I'm along for the ride, even if, you know, I'm being used to kind of get this message out. I, I think this is a really important thing to pay attention to, whether it's because there are visitors in our skies from somewhere else or because we're being manipulated by an organizational structure that should have a higher bar, quite frankly, and shouldn't be doing this to people. Either way, bigger story. And you say, just to caveat that, there are visitors in our skies from somewhere else. They might just be not us, but in their own skies. So who knows, yeah. just for anyone who follows <laughs> that particular path, but we could be here all day with that. Um, just to tag on with that uh, report chatter, uh, Dean Johnson, again, fantastic reporting in terms of Senate language, that kind of maybe boring stuff that people might be like, oh, you know, the SA5950, which I've got written down here, which is the only reason I know it, um, is the Intelligence Authorization Act, uh, the UAP-related text is in there as part of a huge bill. And as of October 12th, I don't think I've seen any updates since then. The The UAP language is still in there. And I just wanted you to explain, though, it said that the final UAP language will be written in conference with the House in November. What does that yeah. mean without putting so me to sleep? In, in a, I'll try my best. <laughs> in a nutshell, uh, I, always, I always use the analogy of train tracks. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the conference is what the last stop before this bill is put on the president's desk so after conference it will be presented to the president to sign but conferences where both sides of the aisle the republicans and the democrats come together and privately kind of hash out the details instead of arguing them in public that bill will now be presented in the house and, and voted on uh more than likely will just pass once conferences happen because that's where the details are sorted. You know, they wouldn't present it if, if they weren't happy with it. Once it's presented and signed off by them, it'll go to the president's desk. So the soonest that can happen is the 14th of November when Congress reconvenes. That'll be when conference starts. So I would probably expect it around Christmas again. You know, you'll see that NDAA HR 7900 passing. I dream in these numbers now. I still remember the ones from years ago. <laughs> and largely though because so much happens with all this stuff and names change and acronyms change with different organizations and you've got the bill people can get easily confused i definitely do if anyone thinks i don't for for the love of god when i don't do these regularly i do get mixed up and all over the place and that's probably part of the reason these things happen but this reporting going into the bill ultimately what is that going to achieve so essentially there are a few different aspects of the bill this year we're going to get a do over the office or probably a new name again the name that's being floated is the uap joint uh program office so a name that properly reflects that it's all of the different organizations coming together and umbrella wise it will actually be kind of held somewhere where those offices can be held accountable instead of kind of policing themselves for it mm -hmm. also in this bill there is the Instead of just the aerial phenomena, they're emphasizing the transmedium aspects of it. So 
the undersea portion is now kind of in the UAP acronym. So that's being emphasized. We've also got language saying that anything that's man-made, they're not interested in. Actually, they're more interested in the anomalous stuff, which is, you know, pretty startlingly clear in terms of whether they're looking for life elsewhere or something else. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the reporting apparatus that they're setting up. So essentially a private channel to whichever UAP task force is there, whatever it's called after this bill passes where people can submit classified information with no fear of repercussions, essentially. So they can't be fired or lose stars or anything like that. They can just go and start talking about this in private sessions. So that's, I'd emphasize that because there are a lot of people out there talking about once this bill passes, people can just spill the beans. That's not the case. Uh, it'll be private closed door sessions and we'll build from there. As well as that, the comptroller has, has been directed to go back all the way to Roswell and basically a mass timeline of the intelligence services dealings with UAP since then. So we should expect a, a huge report from the comptroller at some point detailing where and when exactly all these different projects like Magnet, Blue Book, or, or you know, Sign, Grudge, or all these different programs over the years. We should get a nice, concise timeline from the US government after all of this. Yeah, nice. And again, it's what might interest me with that, and there will be loads of UFO researchers out there, people like Grant Cameron, who have, who have done decades worth of work and research, and, and other people like him, who would probably say they could do that themselves and tell you from Roswell to now what all those different programs were, what they achieved, what happened. But I think if you get it happening in some sort of official capacity, you don't know what else comes out of that or gets dug up or you go, ah, Precisely. we never knew that or we never knew that was related to that. And, you know, that whole OSAP ATIP thing that at one point seemed like two programs and then became a bit more muddied and that might happen for something that was 40, 50 years ago and you start to get some other dots being connected elsewhere. So who knows? I think it's an interesting one. Definitely there's there's plenty to look forward to with it in terms of the report and uh, the NDAA, what happens with that language, you know, that people, again, shouldn't expect too much to happen too quickly. Again, if you take a step back and maybe if you listen to the breakdowns from a year or two ago and some of the news at the time, we've come pretty far uh, and there's a lot of progress happened. I say we, like I've not done it, you know, other people have done the work I thought in you the wrote background. the report. No, no, no. I'm sure some people <laughs> think I did, but yeah. Um, I, we, I'll we've do got until 2026, essentially funded and yeah. signed off so we're playing the long game here not the short game you know absolutely yeah there we go folks so three years worth of content left um so yeah look forward, <laughs> to, look forward to it um speaking of uh, timelines that's a spurious link um nasa as uh, ufo study has finally come together they announced some time ago and i believe their results of that study are going to be announced one year from today is that right was it the 24th? nine months from today so nine months, 24th okay. of july 2023 and it actually launches today as well as we record this on the 24th this is when they're rolling the sleeves and getting to work uh, so it's a little exciting to, it's a watershed moment maybe yeah today was a scan and we'll get the birth of the the results in about <laughs> nine months time yeah it's made up of 16 staff members from various backgrounds I've seen some people online, and, and we won't go through the whole list of everyone because we're trying to get through a lot of chat here, but people disappointed there seems to be a lack of UFO experts involved in this, but that's not the point of NASA having their own UFO study, and I can see why they have the people they have involved in this, including some <laughs> what people may say are kind of hardcore skeptics on the UFO topic, given some of their past comments. Is it astronaut uh, Scott Kelly? Scott that Kelly, yeah. 
Um, um, we've, we've also got Nad- Nadia Drake, the daughter of Francis Drake, of the famous Drake equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's pretty skeptical on this whole thing, but it's interesting that that's where she's coming from. You know, her dad kind of wrote the book on how to apply science to finding life out there. Uh, so it's really intriguing to have her on board. Do you not think if anything does come of this study, it does mean, uh, do you know what? I'll just give my opinion. It would mean a little, a little bit more to hear something positive come from the mouth of the skeptics like that and people who did take a more hard-nosed approach to the UFO subject to come out and say, actually, there's more study needs to be done here or actually we are finding some really interesting data and we need more funding, you know, we need more people involved and there is something to this as opposed to a group of really well-known UFO people coming in and saying, yeah, let's keep going, there's definitely something to this because that's what they want to say. That, that's essentially you'd be building in bias, right? And that's not what we want. We, we want a bunch of data that's really objective, that, that's really solid, that other scientists can pick up and run with. And that's hopefully what will come from this. This initial bit of the nine-month study uh, is literally just the team identifying how data gathered by civilian government entities, commercial data, and data from other sources can potentially be analyzed to shed light on UAP. Um, and it'll then recommend a roadmap. So we're not going to get to nine months and have a declaration from NASA that these are real or not. There was a line in the announcement tweets where they basically said there's no evidence this is extraterrestrial. And a number of people push back on that because that can rightly be seen as a conclusion before the study, right? You yeah. know, science is science. You shouldn't be making up your mind before you do the study. And David Spurgel, uh, who's heading up the study, uh, gave a statement. He said, I'm entering into the study with an open mind. I am hoping that we will be informing NASA not so much about the nature of the UAPs, but about how to design a program to most effectively understand their nature. That to me sounds like it's a foregone conclusion that they think UAP exists. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, you know, a, an amazing moment for for NASA to say that. Like they exist. We're just kind of advising how to best study them. Uh, you, you know, that that's awesome. And rightfully so as well in terms of how to best study them because all the data we have so far is from tools of war. And Ryan Graves himself spoke about this on the Joe Rogan podcast where he was saying those FLIR cameras and things like that, they're designed to track enemies in a war zone. These aren't scientific instruments and that's what we need to bring to bear. So NASA has all these gadgets so they can kind of scientifically do readings and gather data. I'd be really curious to see what NASA can see when they start looking through their data and kind of saying, okay, well, what was going on according to our instruments off the coast of California in November 2004 when Dave Fravor encountered this Tic Tac? Let's have a look. You know, it it should come up with some interesting results. Yeah, 100%. Those pilots in the the Navy and stuff aren't out there flying about looking for UFOs as far as we know. They just happen to be encountering them and recording them as best they can on on the data that we get to see and uh, we know they've got better stuff we know they've got the hd 4k videos all that all that <laughs> close-ups so, man yeah, telescopic yeah. lenses <laughs> yeah the, the beings waving through the window like yeah hi um that, that's a good point though it, it's worth remembering when we talk about like the the ben hansen racetrack uaps coming up uh just because commercial airline pilots when they film these things out the window they can't just turn their giant planes and go look at this yeah. stuff in the sky they are there to do a job to look after a cabin full of people we we need a group of people who can go up and with a bunch of scientific instruments and fly towards these things uh, hopefully that's what will come from this nasa study a bunch of people that go yeah this is legit let's uh let's get in a plane and just fly around until we see these things like the ufo equivalent of the movie twister where they have the van that flies into the tornado and it. releases all the little balls yeah <laughs> would you would you be on that team 
I would want to be the guy in the truck who was further away watching people <laughs> doing, you know, like you've said about going to Skinwalker Ranch and how you yeah. would camp out and I'd be the guy in the hotel in Utah, like um, asking you how your night's going. Just on walkie talkie with me. Yeah, watching, yeah. Very far you know, away. Housewife shows. and <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that, that would be the difference. Yeah. So yeah, really interesting stuff. And, and you wanted to mention on Black Vault's uh, John Greenwald's NASA internal emails on that too. Oh yeah. Just, just you know, John released a whole tranche of nasa internal communications uh which were a whole bunch of different experts kind of trying to pass this subject and i really recommend people go read it it's really long but just kind of have a flick through and you can see how they're trying to combat their their inherent bias by having more than one person present by having not just skeptics but also people who are a bit more open-minded and they all argue and don't take it personally and i think that was really cool to read uh you know they're passing around essentially articles that you know you and i and people in the ufo community have you know poured over over the past couple of years and, and it's really cool to see scientists paying attention to that now and and looking through for any nugget of information they can find Ravi has just teamed up with Ryan Graves as well to launch the AIAA community of interest on UAP, which we'll talk about when we get to it. But uh, but yeah, you know, there, there are some NASA scientists who aren't necessarily part of a huge cover up that's decades long, and they, they seem to be willing to do the work here. So from an organization hoping to achieve first contact, we move on to moment of contact. That's a far better. That's a far better link. Good segue. Uh, yeah, moment of contact has just been released a few days ago, or almost a week ago now, by director James Fox to pretty overwhelming critical acclaim, as far as I can see. Um, we're going to do a full review, record that in the next day or two, and get that released for you for for the middle of this week and end of the week on YouTube. Um, rumors are, and we'll keep our thoughts about the the stuff for the review. But rumors are there are potentially accompanying accompanying data and videos to be released soon um james fox rumors where he had offered two hundred thousand dollars for the individual to release the video to him of the alleged being from the virginia ufo incident in the the mid-90s in brazil and yeah more and more if you look at ronnie vernay a brazilian journalist on twitter he basically said breaking news on this uh it was today actually just an hour or so ago after 26 years in silence, researcher Vittorio uh, Paca, it's either Pacacini or Pacacini or Pacacini, uh, gave some explosive details about the Virginia beings during a moment of contact or uh, moment of contact premiere. And essentially, he said that there, there's someone's given them permission to watch 35 seconds of video of the Virginia being in a secret spot. Um, there is uh, the creature in the video. The footage apparently does exist. I'll, I'll let you go in and read those yourself, folks. I'll put the link in to, to Ronnie's tweets. Um, I'll just make a note of that link to Ronnie's tweets and be really professional. Read that out on the pod. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's one of those that spoiler alert: the there is no video footage of the being in in the documentary. But I think James Fox made that pretty clear throughout the production, especially towards release, that he was trying to attain that there are now rumours that this video might be there. And that would be absolutely huge if we could get a glimpse into any of that. Even a still frame of that, Dan, could be a, a pretty big story, couldn't it? Yeah, it would be, it would be a game changer for the documentary for me. You know, one, one of my favourite things about the documentary, and I'll avoid going too much into it, uh, but it's just the fact that James doesn't conclude. You know, he's there to do an investigation. He's a few times kind of says, you know, if this is true, this is huge. So if they can add something that proves that it's true and that this creature was there and seen by these three girls and transported back to America, 
that would be the cherry on the cake that that suddenly sets this case alight i would say yeah, and like I say, we'll be releasing our full review. I suggest people do check it out. It's getting fantastic response from people um, all around the world who have uh, had an interest in this topic and case for some time since James said he was going to be doing this deep dive into it. It's very, very professionally made. It looks fantastic. And I'll just say, non, non-spoilery on my part, I, it's had a far more positive response than I thought it might and I'll get into those reasons why sure. when we talk about it. You probably Ooh, know intriguing. some of that. I, yeah. yeah, I could probably guess, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. so yeah, I'm, and I'm really glad about that. So yeah, well done to everyone who, who's watched that as well. So and, we'll, and we'll go into that. Just a quick congratulations to James as well. I've said this before, but you know, when the phenomenon came out, he didn't get to have that on the silver screen and watch it and show people it. And, and he's really getting his moment with this. So just congratulations, James. And thank you for all your hard work on this. You're doing stellar work. Yes, well done, James. If you're listening. Yeah, yeah. He's probably not. Um, (laughs) Babbel is one of today's sponsors and they are the best way for you to begin to learn a new language. Immersing yourself in the language of your choice from day one through a whole range of learning styles including podcasts, games and online classes. It's available on desktop or through their app. Babbel's courses are created by didactics experts and focus on real-life situations. So if you're holidaying in France and spot a UFO, you can get locals' attention quickly and efficiently. The lessons are as short as 15 minutes and fit into any schedule and can be downloaded to work on offline while on the go. With the help of everyday dialogue exercises and the speech recognition software, learners can practice their pronunciation and regular vocabulary repetition ensures that what is learned is memorised over the long term. I can already hear some of you listeners getting in touch to tell me I should really learn English given my dodgy accent. When you buy a six-month subscription to Babbel, you receive six months extra for free by using the code zen.ai forward slash UFO Babbel. That's U-F-O-B-A-B-B-E-L. Pay for six months and learn for a whole year. Get info and redeem the code at babbel.com forward slash audio. Folks, today is the day you finally decide to make a life-changing decision and learn that new language. Uh, next up, uh, some folks who may be listening, uh, another James who might actually, is uh, James Iandoli and uh, J. Christopher King um, and potentially Priscilla Stone uh, and Kelly Chase uh, of the UFO Rabbit Hole podcast, Priscilla Stone of Quantum Witch Cafe, James Iandoli of Engaging the Phenomenon YouTube channel, J. Christopher King of the Experiencer Group. I'm sorry, folks, hopefully I got Basically all that Basically wrapped <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I've just been saying words. Someone listening to this for the first time and who, who hasn't signed up to Babbel, one of the sponsors, has been like, what's that guy just said? Yeah, go back and play it on half speed. Um, all of the above were organizers or hosts of the recent conference held out in New York, an inquiry into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon. It took place on the 8th of October, Dan, which uh, I got down here last week, but obviously that wasn't last week. It's just been a few weeks. Sure. Um, you attended the conference. It's still available to watch on Catch Up as well, headlined by the wonderful Dr. Gary Nolan with a range of fascinating speakers, including Mitch Horowitz, Darren from uh, Point of Convergence podcast, Dr. Tim Grieve Carlson, Dr. Sean Esbjorn. Uh, Dan, just very quickly, how was the whole experience getting to attend a conference like that, you know, out there in New York and, and meeting those people? So firstly, it was my first time in New York and thanking New York. You you were amazing. Uh, Central Park is probably one of my New favorite York places not listening. on the planet. Yep. They're all listening, all of New York. Um, 
And yeah, it was really cool. Very cool experience. Uh, got to meet some musicians on the way out there that I got to see play. Um, and if people are listening who are in synchronicities, there were some owl kind of things present throughout my trip. And it, it was interesting. But yeah, back to the conference. So the the day started and it was just amazing to meet, uh, you know, Priscilla and Callie and James and Jay. Uh, we talk so much on social media and, and it's just incredible to be able to just give those guys a, you know, massive hug and, and finally connect in person. Um, great CKT Holland as well. and. Yeah, we we went in and we didn't know what to expect because this was the first event, right? And it was a very small affair. It's not like the conferences that kind of we've been to in the UK where they're kind of huge, uh, you know, maybe 80 to 100 seats in the room, most. Uh, Dr. Sean Esbjorn Hagens uh, presented about a study that he's doing, an academic study, where they're looking to take a quantifiable approach to the phenomena. Uh, he kind of gave out lists of things that are consistent between experiences and they're trying to use them as as kind of comparable data points to come up with a consistent idea of what's going on uh he also mentioned weird weird owl experiences uh, which was a crazy one <laughs> uh but yeah the, that study's being set up the data is collated and reflected on i i would say people should reach out to sean if they feel like their experiences can be part of that study so yeah go go for that dr tim grieve carlson's he he went up and he read an excerpt from an upcoming book where he went out to see some spook lights, essentially what we saw in Colombia. And that was really amazing. I'm looking forward to that book. He writes very well. Uh, he was involved in religious studies in Rice University, where he helped work on the archive of the impossible project with Dr. Uh, Professor Jeffrey Kripal, um, who basically it's an archive of weirdness. If you're into this subject, that's where you should go and have a look. Exoacademian always puts on a good talk, kind of talking about informed speculation on the subject. The surprise of the day, I would say, was Mitch Horowitz. Uh, people don't know a lot about Mitch, but he has a kind of a cult background, and he talks a lot about that. But I've been eager for him to get into this field for years because a lot of what he talks about kind of overlaps with the UFO subject. And finally, here he was kind of waxing lyrical about UAP. And he told a story, essentially, that said every Halloween journalists call him to kind of say what weird stuff's going on this year Mitch you know can can you tell us if there's movement and he his whole point was there's, there's been a sea change that this year finally when journalists say to him is there anything to this UFO stuff is, is the mainstream catching on he can finally say yes there's been a change yes the mainstream is catching on and I don't know where it's going to go uh, so that was a good fist bump moment you know and then as always Dr. Gary Nolan knocked out of the park his talk was about the language of science and applying it to UAP. Uh, he spoke a lot about the Ukraine stuff with Abby Loeb, which we'll touch on. Um, and yeah, he he just he got asked a lot of questions. Jay from Project Unity asked about the Wilson docs, and Gary was kind of saying they're intriguing, but you know, even if you prove that they're real, you can't prove that the contents are real. So yeah. is it worth kind of pulling that thread and focusing your you know all our efforts around it? Which I thought was an interesting point. And yeah, we, we got to kind of talk outside of those kind of presentations as well. But I'd highly recommend, you know, get a live stream ticket, watch them all. It's well worth your time. Yeah. And the next event has already been announced for the 3rd of December. And if you haven't seen already, uh, Leslie Kane was one of the first big names announced for it. But uh, Mr. Christopher Mellon, uh, who needs no introduction, has been announced for that one as well. I can promise you he is not there for not there for the money. Um, as you know, Chris Mellon is from a very wealthy family, um, like billionaires. And uh, yeah, he is not attending those conferences. So that's that's a really good get for, for James and Jay, and I'm made up for them because that's someone that a lot of people I know want to see speaking 
on the topic and he usually does a lot of his work behind the scenes, Chris Mellon, uh, very much exclusively behind the scenes. So it's good to see him stepping out into public for that conversation. So, yeah, I know uh, James and Jay both messaged in the last couple of days. They're going to come back on nearer the time to talk about the, the conversation, talk about the conference and what can be expected. And Mitch Horowitz, I was speaking to a few weeks ago via DM. He's going to come on to the podcast as well in the near future. So hopefully that one will be arranged for November. So will Leslie Kane for November as well. Uh, good to finally get Leslie on and a few others. But yeah, just some of those guests are just kind of lining up nicely to talk about various different things as well. So it was a cool standout moment in New York for me. Uh, Jay looked at me at one point and said, hey, Dan, would you mind uh, going outside and just going to the queue? Leslie Kane's in the queue. Do you want to just grab her and bring her inside? And my brain kind of fritched, you know, <laughs> just walking out to, to fetch Leslie. And we had a lovely chat. She, she was genuinely just such a nice person. Yeah. Um. Again, I won't make that one, folks. It's Christmas, young family, kids. You know, it's it's a it's a lot of money still to get to New York at this time of year. But hopefully, sometime next year, I can get out there for one of James and Jay's conferences. If you can and you're in the area, definitely attend. Otherwise, get a live stream ticket. I saw someone on Twitter had very kindly said that um they would donate five live stream tickets for for folks just because they were in a a, a good place in life and and could afford to do that, which I thought was very nice as well. So um yeah, yeah super that, kind. Was, that was very cool of them. But yeah. If you, if you can, folks, I think it was at, is it $25 for a live stream yeah. ticket? 25 and, at the moment, usually 30 but I think yeah. there's an early discount. Early bird. Or early bird. Or early bird. Early bird <laughs> for various accents in there um, is, is available as well. So check out James Eindoli or J. Christopher King's Twitter uh, feeds for those discounts and stuff as well. I, I will also be out in New York for the next event. So just like with my previous one, I covered, uh, you know, I posted a lot of social media as I was out there kind of experiencing this stuff. So follow me at The Signal on Instagram or Twitter, and you'll kind of see some of those as they're happening. Or just follow him if you see him. Or just yeah. follow him, yeah. 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 He, some, he sometimes <laughs> drops gummy sweets behind him. You can kind of follow him <laughs> back up. Um, also, uh, I'd suggest follow, if you're on social media, at Inquiry Anomalous. Now, check the spelling of that because I messaged James just checking he had spelt anomalous incorrectly, but he actually was a, a character short on spelling it the right way, so I had to go with anomalous. So it is, yeah, you'll see the spelling of it is correct, but yeah, make sure you're you're following that one. I don't even know, Dan, if you had checked that out and saw that, but yeah, I checked I with James, know. I and Dolly, just I was like, you know, you've spelled anomalous wrong. And he was like, yeah, we were a character short. So it was, it was um, on purpose, anomalous yeah. spelling for the word. I would just be like, that's a pun. <laughs> Yeah, a letter had to go, and it was the O. So yeah, <laughs> there we go. Um, there's a slogan. But yeah, so that was that was a lot of the news, and I want to get through some other bits and pieces in quickfire format because I'm a bit short of time today, just getting back into this, and hopefully I've not sounded manically depressed after the the kind of weekend I had. Um, but a few you sound things. Beautiful. Oh, thanks. Shut up. Um, <laughs> a few things worth touching on. Um, some of you asked me to discuss a few different things with Dan. The first one is the Mars rover shot. So there was a, is it a gigapan or something it's called, which the Mars rover takes pictures of yeah, the Mars right. landscape. Um, usually you see all kind of interesting or, or sometimes just shots of kind of brownie red desert. Um, however, there is, a, if you check the link in the description or various different accounts, there is a particular shot where something seems to be in the sky. All I'm going to say on this one is it could be something, it could be nothing. Many I know would say it's an artifact or a glitch. Um, it doesn't appear in the next frame, which to many would indicate something was in the sky and then wasn't. And as we know, there shouldn't be anything in the sky of Mars, um, depending on your persuasion on a UFO topic. <laughs> but I, I think it's one of those that 
if if NASA, who are in charge of this rover, come out and basically say, oh yeah, it was nothing, half the people will believe them and half of them won't. I, I don't think there is really any way, is there, Dan, to address the the artifact because it's just one single point of a picture and the quality is such that you can't really zoom in on it unless it just becomes a big pixelated blob. I mean, yeah, do you exactly. want to comment much more on it? I could. I'd. I'd love it to be something. I'd love it to be an alien spacecraft flying. Oh, about I zoomed in, Mars. in. I could see them waving. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, you know, I zoomed in. I had a look at some of the frames either side of it. If it was a camera artifact, i.e., you know, part of the sensor was dying, it would be present in all of them. Um, it could have been something kicked up by one of the real wheels of the rover, but it doesn't yeah. travel too fast, so probably not that. Uh, but yeah, it's curious. But without a time machine, you know, without a tic tac, we physically cannot go there and see what it was. Even if it's a fly, you know, if in this situation, usually you get McWest kind of saying, that's a fly, that's a bug. If bugs are present on Mars flying in front of the cameras, Martian fly. that's huge, right? So, you know, it, it could still be something prosaic, but incredible. More data, as always. So are you something... leaning towards, though, regardless that there is something in the picture, as opposed to it being an issue with the camera? Yeah, I would say I'm leaning towards there being something there. You know, we, we've seen pictures of, you know, maybe fungal formations on Mars, of things moving, things, or sorry, things present in one photo and then not in another photo, not moving because we didn't have film. Uh, but yeah, there, there certainly seems to be a, a, a growing kind of idea that there is life on Mars. Uh, but when we say that, we're not talking about green man or gray man, we're, we're more talking, uh, you know, bacterial or bugs or something like that. Yeah. David Bowie had a, a great album song life on mars um yeah, great one. <laughs> he did um grind graves uh pilot extraordinaire was on joe rogan podcast recently um dan i've only seen the highlights of it to be honest ryan graves speaks incredibly well i have asked ryan to come on the podcast before he's a busy man and he's got some other things going on so polite decline from him which is totally understandable um but yeah he went on to joe rogan he wasn't too busy for Rogan, was he? Uh, but <laughs> that's that's fine. I'm sure Joe Rogan puts on a far better spread than I could offer. Um, and it's great to have someone like Ryan Graves, if he was going to give one interview, you know, do it on Joe Rogan's podcast because that's the platform to to discuss this topic on. I think on a mass scale to get folks interested and all that good stuff trickles down to to the lower levels like ourselves. Um, so yeah, he spoke really well, talked about his encounters, experiences. And for me, one of the kind of standouts was he didn't mind too much doing a little bit of speculation on the possibility of some of these encounters being a non-human intelligence. And it's nice, again, to hear someone like that just being able to say that out there in a public forum to millions of people viewing and listening around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, he's someone reputable. Like you say, he's, he's an expert and... It kind of, the interview stacks on top of the one he, Ryan, did with Lex Fridman. I would say, you mm. know, they're a good one to listen to them both. Uh, with, with Lex, they talked about Ryan's experience as a fighter pilot for a lot of it. And that was amazingly informative. But pretty much straight from the get-go in this one, they're talking about UAP. Uh, he recounts a number of things. And there were a few quotes that I just picked out. Um, one, one which I've mentioned already was where Ryan was saying that an F-18 isn't an analytical tool, it's a tool of war, and we need proper scientific instruments kind of directed at these UAP that we're finding. Second was that he pointed out that the shape that we're seeing in the gimbal video, that's the shape of the energy that the object is emitting. So when we're talking about it being a spinning top based on the shape of the gimbal in the video, it's probably not a spinning top. That's not how it looks. We're not seeing the shape there. So there's a whole bunch of, you know, graphic artists out there that just kind of went, oh, back to the drawing board then. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. He also stated he believes there's a pathway for declassification of data so that scientists can help understand it. 
which was interesting. That would have been something I would have liked to have followed up on more, you know, why Ryan has that impression. And then the the final one that I'd like to highlight is that at one point he said they were talking about politicians and how, you know, if aliens came down, if visitors came down, they would go see the president or something. That's what we assume. But Ryan quite rightly pointed out, you know, if we find an ant colony in a garden, do we make ourselves available to meet the queen of the hive? No. <laughs> so it was a really good analogy for kind of saying, you know, yeah, we, we think of everything in terms of politics, but something coming here wouldn't. And it's a testament to all these kind of school landings and things like that that we always see happening. Do you Ryan know what? Can I just, can I just yeah, say yeah. on that, that that point, people might be listening to this and thinking, yeah, but that's what I think anyway, that, you know, why would they come down here? The point being, and what we're trying to say is Ryan Graves is saying this to three or four million people, most of which don't have that deep an interest in the UFO subject. And it just makes them think that little, that one line, especially something like that for me, makes people go, huh, I never thought yeah. about it that way. Maybe I should look at this slightly differently. And that yeah. for me is the big thing with these sorts of interviews. That That's where I kind of, you know, similar to Nope, the movie, that's where I took from that, that they put in this other idea of what these things could be in front of millions of people that don't like engage a loving with organism. Subject. Yeah, yeah yep. it's just like, okay, well, let's think a little outside the box here. You know, maybe mm -hmm. it's not just something coming from another planet visiting. Ryan also uh, posted the other day, I think it was October 19th, uh, that the... AIAA community of interest has launched. I mentioned this earlier, but basically they want to help uh, the community of interest is to study the unidentified, unidentified aerial phenomena and educate government, academia, and industry on aerospace safety. So he's working with Ravi Kaparapu, who's a planetary scientist at NASA and is included in those emails that John Greenwald got from NASA. So if you want to find out what he kind of thinks of the subject, have a look through there. But they have three teams. There's the human factor, the outreach factor, and the hardware factors. So they'll be looking at the hardware. That'll be a very neutral point. Then there's outreach, which is pretty much what it sounds like. You know, the, the subject matter experts talking to people who are interested in a scientific engineering way. And then you've got the human factors, uh, which engages with scientific and engineering and research communities who assist with educating the aerospace community relative to the aerospace safety factors with UAP. So it's all about air safety, air safety, air safety, basically. Um, and that's what we're seeing addressed as well with Ben Hansen and what's going on with him and the racetrack UAPs. And uh, is it fair to say, Dan, we've only got a few minutes left, but people complained about the threat narrative being used in official capacity by folks like Lou Elizondo, but it did get the military involved and the Navy involved in a way they weren't before in the UFO subject. So as much as people might be, oh, the AIAA stuff, you know, that's not really UFO related and talking about air safety, but you might get organizations interested in the ufo subject indirectly because you go with their it's their uh their example of a threat narrative you know air safety is really important oh is it yeah okay well that's that's true so we have to look at something that may be affecting that which is unidentified aerial phenomenon or ufos as you might know them and it just gets them into that conversation a different way is that fair yeah i, I would say that that's precisely the the right way to think about it you know, people are coming because there's a they're there, not because they agree that they're aliens, but I don't really care if they agree with, you know, my thinking that it's something else and something other. The fact is they're looking at it and that's more than we've ever had in this subject, um, looking at it with an actual open mind. And, and when they say about threats, it doesn't necessarily mean as Stephen Greer would assert that they're, you know, coming down and blowing us up with these special bombs that they have. Um, it just means that 
it could be a threat to air safety because there are genuinely some examples where commercial pilots have swerved to avoid these things, you know, drop their plane hundreds of feet in seconds and some passengers have been injured and gone to hospital afterwards. It is a safety issue. And if these things can fly right through jets, we kind of need to know that so we know not to swerve, you know? Okay, you've got 30 seconds on each of the next topics I want to discuss, of which there are four, <laughs> okay? And I'm going to time you on them as well. Okay. Uh, and I, I, both of us have the 30 seconds between us. Um, Stephen Greer, who you mentioned, was on the Theory of Everything podcast. Dan, you were on that with Kurt. Uh, Kurt Jaimungo, of course. Um, people, if you haven't checked that one out, go and check it out. Kurt's done a variety of UFO-related interviews. It was a pretty mixed response from folks online. The online community, the UFO community anyway, is is quite vocal against Stephen Greer. Well, the ones who don't like him anyway. So they were always going to shout the loudest about this. Um, Stephen Greer, I've shared my thoughts on many times. I think he was someone 20 years ago, had maybe the right intentions with the subject. And then God knows all the stuff that's gone on since then. But his arms got bigger and so did his ego. And <laughs> y- you can't necessarily blame that, to be fair. But um, I think... If you've not seen Kurt Mungo's style, it can clash wildly with people like Stephen Greer and Linda Moulton Howe, because he usually does really fascinating, in-depth and intellectual talks on physics and, you know, quantum physics and mathematics and, you know, some really, really niche subjects with some very, very interesting and very intelligent individuals. And then he gets on a Stephen Greer who claims to be some of these things. But when he's asked or pressed on, you know, oh, let's talk about physics because that's I'm classically trained in physics, as uh, Kurt told him, and Stephen went, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it's like, that was your chance, Dr. Greer, to, you know, really get, get into it, and you didn't. So there's been some fantastic UFO interviews done by Kurt. There's been some ones that have been a little bit more awkward or car crashy. See Linda Moulton Howe, who stormed off at the end, which was a shame and really no fault of Kurt's ruined a birthday (laughs) (laughs) yeah it did yep and then you've got the one where Stephen Greer's gone on and largely to promote something he had coming up but which is which is what he was doing yeah it was it was very if anyone watches it you know for the first hour Kurt and I were like messaging each other saying like get a question and get a question because Greer clearly you know you you asked how come he was doing this one interview and he's notoriously hard to get on podcasts and then he just spoke for a long time and it was just it was a lot I'll say that uh, but I was glad that I was there because when it got quite awkward, it meant that there was someone else to kind of step in and direct the conversation elsewhere. And that was specifically where Kurt was pushing Greer on the physics of it and kind of saying, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need to play coy with this audience. This audience is the audience who's into the physics. So speak as much as you want. Yeah. It became very apparent that Greer didn't really understand what he was, what he was saying um some of the words he was using and that's fine if you don't you you know not all of us are physicists but at that point is where you'd expect someone to just put their hands up and say i don't know like i'm not the person that has made this free energy device that he was talking about so i can't enlighten you we got to speak about tom delong why they fell out um you know i got to ask Stephen about flares as well um several times actually and the answer there was that there are people messing with them and other actors might have dropped the flares, which, to be honest, I don't believe because, you, you know, there there are receipts essentially pointing to Stephen Greer's company in doing this. But for me, they, there was a really nice bit of feedback I got about the whole thing. So not just that Stephen Greer called just Justin Bieber Justice Bieber, mm-hmm. um, but also that someone said to me that they really wanted going into the interview, they wanted it to be a gotcha interview to kind of show Stephen up. 
And they said that when the interview finished, they realized that doing a gotcha interview isn't very insightful and that it was a lot more informative to see people let Stephen say his piece and give his answers. Um, and now they have a better idea of who Stephen Greer is. And I would say the mask dropped during that interview a bit. So yeah, people should go watch it. It might inform them as to maybe if they should even be listening to, to what Stephen Greer has to say. Yeah, go on and check that one out. Um, on the podcast next week is Dr. Stephen Greer with his fascinating new documentary. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, he's not coming on. He never gets back to me. Um, so yeah, there you go. Go on, folks. And I'll, as always, make up your own mind on, on Dr. Greer. I know many of you are big fans of his and that's absolutely fine. You know, I yeah, that's it. I, I'm not I, as I much, would... but yeah. Just emphasize that even if you don't agree with Dr. Greer, stuff like CE5, human initiated contact, goes way back before him. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, by fooing what Dr. Greer is saying and what he's become over the past years, that's not uh, a reflection on the subject itself. We've gone way over 30 seconds on that one. We and, have, and sorry. You know Some of his documentary <laughs> stuff is okay, bits of it. Um, yeah, um, very quickly, George Knapp had a piece on 8 News where he works out in Las Vegas on Radiance Technologies. They're a company that has employee-owned ties to Travis Taylor and Jay Stratton, who um, famously, you know, Travis Taylor was a chief scientist in the UAP task force, wrote the report. They have offices within Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and Nellis Air Force Base. Um, the big takeaway from this, folks, was uh, the president of radiance technologies is one tim tinsley who has kind of worked his way up to be the president of said company and a lot of people were jumping on his comment that they wouldn't shy away from getting involved with ufo or uap related contracts i think you can take the line with a little bit of a pinch of salt because if you if you see the interview and i'll put the the link to it on the the description he's sort of asked a question but you don't get to see him being asked a question and he does that you know ah, yeah, sure yeah we would we would get involved in ufo related contracts why not we're a private contractor you, you would want to it'd be cool it's, it's very throwaway um and he's just being honest that yeah we'd get involved but yeah i don't think there was too much to it but what it did highlight is again the cv of travis taylor which i always think it's fascinating more and more that the skinwalker ranch tv series almost seems detrimental through no fault of their own to the character of Travis Taylor, yet people forget the the kind of genius behind the man because his qualifications and academic academic background speak for themselves. Dan, you've got five seconds. I agree. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> That's thirty seconds. I'm really badly. I just want to touch on a couple of things, literally a few lines each, uh, and we won't get to the bit at the end, but that's fine. Um, Avi Loeb had commented on UAPs above Ukraine, saying there's there's pretty prosaic explanations for them. Dan, this disappointed some people, but what were your thoughts? Just that you know, you you can dis feel free to disagree with Avi. I'm, I'm sure he'd welcome it if you presented that disagreement in the language that he knows, which is a peer-reviewed paper. Avi's written a paper and he's put it out. You can disagree with it, but you need the data to back it up. So, for example, he thinks that actually it's probably artillery shells. You could object on the shape of some of these objects, or maybe the fact that this study was done really early, so the war might have not kicked off and there wouldn't have been artillery flying around. But the point is, you need to speak his language and that that's where we have scientists coming in and kind of grappling over it that avi doesn't think it's bad to be wrong he thinks it's bad to not investigate something so he's just putting his assertions out so that they can be discussed yeah and also very quickly we'll just finish on this one the ben hansen racetrack uap reports ben hansen done a, a special update a few weeks ago on the podcast thanks to ben on uh, some pilots uh sightings that were filmed and also the audio was released of as well which was really cool ben hansen's been following this up and he's getting reports from pilots all the way from japan to the us and other areas as well um 
I just really enjoy seeing that kind of boots on the ground actual work done, which yeah. can be a bit dirty at times. And people like yourself who are, you know, you can call yourself a proper researcher now because you went to Colombia and yes. you'd, you'd done some research. <laughs> you and, said it. I'm quoting yeah. you. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's just, I stick to facts and that's it. Like yourself and Vinny and all the, all the crew that done that, you went and researched something and whether the final product is what some people were happy with or not, you went and researched it. These pilots may or may not be seeing something worth investigating, but unless they actually go and investigate it, unless people like Ben do the work and go, oh, let's actually see what this could be. Let's go speak to these pilots. Let's go find the video. Let's go and do some stuff as opposed to just sitting online and saying, yes, it is or no, it's not. Then, you know, you have to applaud the, the work people like Ben are putting into this as well. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. And Ben would be the first person to say, I don't know what these are. I just want to help figure it out. Uh, it's the same with the pilots that are seeing them. They're not saying that they're aliens. Um, and that's the that's the accusation that's being levied against them. This is the kind of work we need to be doing if we want to move forward in this subject, not making conclusions on limited data, but just investigating. Because like we always say, there's likely to be a lot of different things that are causing these sightings. It's not just going to be one thing. Cool. Just to finish up, folks, uh, Dan, I hate to ask you to make uh, conclusions on limited data, but based on what you've seen with these reports from Ben Hansen, yes or no, are these pilots seeing alien piloted spacecraft? Absolutely, they are. <laughs> that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself, and I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was wet. I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think I'd be, I think it's you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jake?
podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more.